important um, kind of philosophical things first. Uh, is anybody missing this jacket? <laughs> Go. Well done. That's better than a sticker. All right. So we started off this morning, we gave somebody a book this morning, and this afternoon somebody got a jacket. That's brilliant. This has to be a conference worth coming to. Um, how are we doing? It's been, a, it's been a long day and an interesting day, and what I would really like to do just now, we've got a couple of people with microphones. I'd really just like to throw open for anything that people want to ask Paul or say to Paul or anything like that. So... Who wants it? Yeah, there we go. Look, short journey for the microphone. Terrific. Okay, go on. Shout. Um, it was a quick question about the recognition board. Yeah. Um, I read the book and I thought I'd go back and try a few things now. Um, I had been looking out and thinking, because the kids actually love it, and they love it. It was the tip system I was using. But I, it was more, I wasn't sure how long it should last, you know, before. What I was doing is all I was doing was writing their names on the board if they'd done something great, and then just ticking if they'd done something again. The kids love the tick, but I then found myself being very aware of just making sure I've got 25 names on the board. No. No. That, no. That, that, I knew that was wrong, but I just couldn't, because at the end of the day... I didn't want somebody to be like, oh, my name's not on the board. So, no, so I would set a target of, yeah. you know, a class of 30, we've got primary school, mm-hmm. so class of, what, 32? Mm-hmm. Um, y- your target, their target might be 15 for that period between uh, registration and break. And to get 15, they can all celebrate. They don't all need to be on there, otherwise it's, it just becomes another game, right? That's what I when you had the pictures up, how did they manage it? Because I could see that some of them, you were moving the names up. Yeah, and, I, and, and, and that's a bit... Okay, so that's interesting, because if you've got the names at the bottom and you move them up, then by default, the ones that are left are almost... So I, 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 don't, I don't tend to criticise how people have taken the idea, right? I but, just wasn't quite sure how... But if I, the, the, kind of, the perfect thing for me is to have a tally system that you, that you don't have to have names on. Right, so I, I te- you can have names on there, but but you can do it without as well, and it for, to be just a tally system. So you, you, this, in the last two sessions, in the last two lessons, you've earned your fifteen. We'll all stand up and dance because those people have earned your. But it doesn't; they don't need to identify who they are. Otherwise, it does become a bit divide and rule again. Do you know what I mean? So I'd say play with it and talk to the children about it as well. You know, how how do they like it done best? What what you know. What, it, is the names on the bottom a problem for them? For, for me, it's also about the parents because you know, one, of the problems with rec- one of the problems with naughty names on the board is that, that people will say, it works for me, I've used it for 20 years, it's no problem. But the, the real problem with it is, is the label grows with the parents, right? My son comes home, 12 years old, I say to him, did you have a good day at school? Uh, um, did you learn anything? No. Um, uh, were, were there any problems? He'll tell me that straight away. Ah, oh, yeah, Hassan, bit of a problem today. So I go and I speak to... I say, have you heard about Hassan? Bit of a, have you? And I go to the school gates and I say the same thing. And I go to parents' evening and I say, I'm a bit worried about Hassan. I, I don't know. I don't know at all. But I, that label can grow outside the classroom. So I think, for me, it's about anonymity. It's about celebrating 
us as a class and the fact that 15 people got 15 ticks is, is shared between us. And then at the same time, you know, not, you know, making sure that while you're publicly celebrating those children, you're not missing Emma, who needs a warning, <laughs> and you're not missing other children who need to be, to be, to be told that, that they need to stop. So that we're just flipping it. We're just doing the stuff in public that works in public and the stuff in private that's better in private. And that's a valuable lesson for all sorts of areas of your life, I think. We could stick with that. <laughs> just putting it out there. Any, any, next, please. Short session, really. Uh, let's move immediately to the... Yes? Just wondering how you sort of have tackled the sort of reluctant teachers if you were trying to do this as a whole school approach. Um, beatings. <laughs> so the, the theory of change is quite, quite simple. We're trying to get to 80-20. So we're trying to walk 80% of our teachers in the same direction. Uh, you'll have 20% that if you went in tomorrow and said, we're going to follow a new way, they'd come with you straight away, Okay. And then you work for the next 20% and then the next and the next. And you don't worry that there are still 20% of your staff sitting in the staff room saying, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. So you need to get to a critical mass, which is 8 out of 10. And then, then the 20% have got a decision to make. You know, do, do I come with you? Do I go and find another place to work that, that actually gives me my craving for punishment? Um, or, <laughs> or do I go to, to that miracle school that I've always dreamed of where... Children skip down the corridors and, and everyone learns regardless and behaviour is perfect. I think what's interesting is that those, that group of teachers, they're a very powerful force when we're not walking everyone in a different direction. So they'll just, they'll criticise. And the, so you, you take your first followers, right, really important, the first 20% who would just follow you anywhere because it's you. Then you take the next 20% who... I've read the book and, and done a, listened to the podcast. And you know, some of the really good stuff that's going on at the moment is not about diving into buying stuff from Pivotal, right? Buying training. The best stuff happens when we share the book and we share the free podcasts. And I like, you know, the best schools we work with are those where the head teacher comes to me and says, look, I've, I'm forced to call you because all my staff are saying we should be doing this. And it's awful when you get that top-down thing and you, you don't include classroom teachers. You've got to grow it from the bottom. So give, you know, split up the book into chapters, one chapter a week with one podcast, and you start to, over the term, people will then able to think about the ideas for themselves rather than having to just follow the person who's read it and the person who's raving about it. I think it's much better when it... It's, everything's better when it's ground up, isn't it? I mean, mm. it just, it lasts, right? It's not flash in the pan stuff, oh, here's the latest thing. I don't want it to be like that. And what's, what's really interesting in Scotland is, you know, we, we've been doing this in England and Wales and the rest of the world um, for about 15 years, uh, and, and, and Scotland was always closed to us. It was only really when John Swinney and, and, and you know, changed the metrics around relationships, changed the language that the doors opened for us. Um, so there's no need to rush, you know, we, 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 you know to, just because we've waited 15 years to get it doesn't mean you have to now do it. And, and we talk about change in terms of, you know, 18 months minimum. I don't want any teacher to think we've got to have all this done and, and use all these new strategies within a term or a few weeks. It, 
And, and I say to head teachers, you have one chance at launching this. You don't, you don't have three or four chances to change behaviour. You've got one shot, so do it slowly and, and focus on the adult behaviour first of all before you get into any of the, anything else. Just do one thing for the first term. Um, but yeah, at the moment there are 215 free podcasts uh, and we've just done a, a, a three episodes with Bill Rogers. Uh, the last three episodes are with an interview with Bill Rogers. For those of you who, who, who don't know, Bill is uh, just monumentally brilliant uh, teacher, behaviour specialist, writer, um, researcher. And so those are all free as well. So it, it, it just gives, you know, it's the book and then it's everything around it. And all the people on the podcast are just giving their stuff for free and, and willingly. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Is it okay? I, I've spoken to some of your colleagues about dealing with reluctant teachers. So some people have heard this in response to questions. But if it's okay, yeah, yeah. Just, just to amplify it for everybody else. I mean, a number of things I talked about. One of the things I didn't talk about, you, I think if you're in the position that Paul's describing, you're in deep trouble. Because if the vision for your school and the, the, the overriding statements that you're making at your school don't have clear implications for how we manage children's behaviour, we're in trouble. And if the first point of conflict with a cynical teacher is around becoming part of the shaky hand gang, we're in deep trouble. Um, because it's always going to be better to, to fight the war than to indulge in a succession of skirmishes which will ultimately wear you out. And again, if I may, my great friend and colleague from Les Mahego, whom I only met this morning, but, <laughs> but I think we might well be striking up quite a partnership, let me tell you. Um, but one of the things that we talked about was we talked about establishing a strong enough culture in the school that people self-select to leave. And there's something powerful about that. If we can avoid things becoming incidents and make them part of that wider cultural discussion. And it needs to be, I mean, it's like, sorry, just very quickly, but if you look at Brexit. <laughs> very <right>? quickly. <laughs> That's it. I've looked at it. I don't like it. But if you look at it, the one thing that you can't fake is common purpose. And that's what's missing in the debate. There is nothing to unite either of the parties right now because all we've got is parties divided around a whole range of splits and skirmishes around points of detail and where we need clarity in the country as well. What sort of country do we want to be? Nobody's having that discussion. You know, it's like, well, we'll leave tomorrow or should we set it back another fortnight and then leave and have no deal and should we go with Jacob Rees-Mogg? You know, and you're just thinking, no, shoot him, that's it. End of story, I think. I mean, we can be too patient. There can be too much love in the room. But the point I'm making is, the point I'm making is, let's have that discussion about what characterises us as a school first, and then you can have the conversation about how the stuff that Paul's talking about fits into that. So you do your, you do your values, yeah, and then you do your one single page of behaviour policy. I so just said that. that I think he said purpose. it better, don't you? So I'm pretty much. But you're right, right. David. But, but the other thing that we talked about around that is one of the powerful things I'm looking at just now is the power of pupil voice, both for current pupils and for past pupils. And one of the powerful things, bringing young people back, if you're in a primary school, to say, what did we do with you that you now find valuable? What do you wish we'd done? And that helps to open up that conversation. And often reluctant staff will move because 
of the impact they're having on learners, but they will not move because they don't like your rhetoric. You know that, so we need to get through that split as well. The other thing, Paul's absolutely right, it's better to isolate than anything else, and it's about moving that debate tirelessly forward in terms of, and it's like the point we made with John Swinney this morning, is about being absolutely consistent around your rhetoric. So you don't say, we're all about teacher empowerment while we're appointing a director of scrutiny. You know, and, and you need to make sure that you've got that level of consistency as well. And I think all these things matter. Anyway, you've now two answers for the price of ten. Um, anybody else have a question? I just want to ask, Paul, I'm a parent of a um, school involvement. I know you talked about um, engaging with young people in terms of asking them what they wanted from their teachers, but I wondered how much um, of a chance you've had to explore the impact on some of the learners in the schools that you've worked with. I asked my daughter if she'd noticed a difference in her school after about, I think, three months of, of the school um, you know, working to the principles of the book. And, and I was kind of getting at behaviour. And, and she said, she said, well, she said, I tell you what, the teachers are really making an effort. <laughs> and and, and that, that, that wasn't what I expected. I expected a comment on, on behaviour of her peers. And I just wondered whether that's something you'd explored. So I, I think that the, the honest answer to that is that individual head teachers are doing exactly that. So Ruth Mackay at Portobello has got a whole, you know, uh, pages of testimonials from children where she just stops them in the corridor and says, what's behaviour like now? What was it like before? But, but so... Uh, What's, what's interesting is that we've, we've, we've exploded so quickly into so many different places that the sort of the research catches up with us. Mm. That we, we're not a, you know, we're, we're born from, I'm a teacher, I mean, I'm a teacher, so I do what most teachers do, which is grab what works, uh, try it on different groups of children to see if it, it's replicable. Uh, and then write books about it and try, but it, and, and, and then go back and somebody says, oh, that's the research on, I say, oh, I have not seen that. So, we, we've, we're about to appoint a head of research to do that catch-up. And, and so you'll find on our website case studies from loads of different schools, all the research data, all the impact data, but it's a very good question. I'm not sure how many student comments are in that. There's a lot of staff comments, a lot of head teachers' comments. Good question. I need to go back and look at that. But if you want to look on the pivotaleducation.com website, you'll see loads of case studies from rural primary, inner-city uh, uh, massive school, you know, small specialist provision. There's, there's all sorts of different ones, but you know, it's, a, it's a good question because actually sometimes the best voice comes through the children, right? I think the, the other thing I would say around that is I think one of the key issues at the moment is I think we're obsessed with research rather than researching, and I think that's a balance that we need to we need to shift along because you know the, the, there's so much debate around which piece of research you look at, and you can find research that will justify anything. You know, there's, a lot, there's lots of fascist tossers out there, and they're all doing research. That's a technical term. I'm going to tweet and that. Yeah, absolutely. And they're, and they're all doing research which vindicates being a fascist tosser. Weird, that. That's how it works. And then, you know, similarly, you've got all of these soft-left Guardian-reading tossers. That's me. Uh, self-stereotyping here and we do research that proves that we're right the, the interesting thing I think is if we can get people into that culture of self-evaluation and we, we've slipped into a language where we talk constantly about evidence-based practice mm-hmm. and we, that's fine but it also needs to be practice-based evidence 
And that's the bit that's missing. So people go off looking for evidence-based practice. They engage with Andreas Schleicher. They engage with the OECD or whatever. And they go, yeah, this is the way, the truth, the light. Let's do that. And actually what we need to do sometimes is we need to say it feels right to try and engage children to give them some sense of investment in the learning. Let's do that. And then let's be rigorous about looking at impact. And if we can move, I think, more towards that culture of research and evaluation rather than engaging with research as an academic exercise, then I think we begin to generate the evidence and it becomes practice-based evidence which can subsequently inform other people's practice. I mean, I, I, came, from, I came from teaching and I, I was so frustrated with the way that people would just come in, they'd do 50 PowerPoint slides and then they'd just go off again. And you just think... What, I don't understand that. What is that? And, and w- I gave up teaching in order to, to do something bigger with behaviour. But in, in, I, didn't, I didn't think I'll leave the classroom and go straight to a university and then rec- I just had it. I'd, I'd lived it and done it in the most crazy, insane places. Um, and I just wanted to... And now, and now I have to answer the research question, which is difficult for me as a teacher, because I can point you to every bit of research that attaches to my work, but I didn't read them before I did it. I, I, I did it because it was the way to stop Robert running out of my classroom, right? And so people say, oh, that's, uh, that's and I, I, is it? I've not read that, but I, I, he, that kid taught me that because if I did it any other way, he was off. And if I did it this way, he would stay in. So it's not a perfect answer, but it, it, it's, um, I, I, I think we, you know, it's very tempting as a teacher. I remember, I remember hearing you know, people say research and evidence-based practice and all the rest of it, and I would just scream at people, I don't have time to, I don't have time to, to wash my own face. And you're, you're, you're asking me to read but research. You've got somebody to do it. I, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't have time for this. And I, I think, I was talking to David, I think you know, there's a danger, isn't there, that teachers are so busy, that every moment of every day is consumed with children, quite rightly, and the job, and then you get other people saying, oh, you need to be research-informed. And you think, hold on, you've just read a book that I haven't read. And, and you're just one step ahead of me. I can't do what you're doing. I don't have the time to do that. So there's a frustration for teachers when people from outside say, you must be research-informed. Of course they'd love to be. But the answer is, great, could we have a day off every month to do the research, right? Can, can you give us the time to do it? And then we'd all happily dive into, into that. But the, the workload issue... It just stops teachers that are there five days a week. I don't know how you do that and have any kind of balance at all. I I wouldn't, you know, if you're going to grab for a book at at, at the weekend, it's going to end up being a kid's book that you're marking, isn't it? Not a a book that you're you're reading. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm guessing there'll be a fair amount gathering in terms of practice-based evidence from practitioner inquiry Mm -hmm. across the country. And, And that's absolutely the point, I think. And I think that's one of the, the things that's been strong in Scotland, that we, we've adopted the idea of pra- practitioner inquiry and things like the inquiry meets, you know, moving on. I think all of that stuff's been valuable. But it, it is that thing about respecting the common sense. Um, because, you know, Paul's absolutely right. We all learn by meeting the challenges that we've got in front of us. And generally, it, it's children who make us better teachers. Um, and, and it's the same thing, you know, step will do lots of research to produce formal evidence. But the reality is it's the day-to-day engagement that they have with their schools which provides the confidence to continue with the work. And it's that, you know, it's this classic thing about you're not going to wait to dress a wound 
and find out what research tells you is the best way to bandage it, you're going to stop the bleeding first, and if you need to change it later for a better bandage, that's fine. But it's that process of learning. And, and John Swinney's point this morning is that at some point we need to go, on this side of the room, we've got decades of experience. On that side of the room, you've got centuries. That's what we need to start respecting. That's what we need to start respecting. We need to start thinking in terms of values, common senses and experience as key filters. Engage with research where we can, as Paul says, where we've got time to do it. But make sure that we do nothing without asking the Hattie question, which is, so what? What was the impact? Mm -hmm. Any other questions? That was like 10 minutes for one question. Absolutely brilliant. There you go. Lady over there from Girvan. It's lovely. She's come a long way. Nearly got a book. Can I just go back to the question about rewards or the issue about rewards? Um, I, I think, I'm supposing it would have to be a school-based type decision, but just to give you the context, we've spent a lot of time over the last couple of years establishing positive ethos, recreating a sense of community within our school, and part of that was to do with our house system, and we renamed the houses, the children were all involved. Um, and that is a recognition of children from all parts of the school coming together, four different houses, yeah. and they earn points for their house that are displayed within the foyer, different colours, and it's been hugely successful. And I suppose when you mentioned earlier, get rid of the rewards, I instantly thought, oh my goodness, that the, the kids have totally engaged with that. We do have house treats at the end of the term, team building events that, that take place at the end of terms to celebrate the success of the houses. I just wonder, where does that sit in terms of it, that? It, sort sits, of... it sits beautifully, right. because effectively what you're doing to the children is you're saying, here's, here's recognition for the team. It's not for you. It's not you plotted against another child, plotted against another child. It's, it's your team, right? And I love that. And I, I, We've done a lot of work with schools where we do the house point system, but each point is a penny, and then they're donating to charity at the end. So they, they have the you know, huge tubes, and we see the tubes rising up, and it's a kind of a friendly competition, but they know also that those are charitable donations. And so it's something much more positive. And so my line is, don't don't pit individuals against each other. You're lovely, you get a sticker, you get a detention, sticker detention. I, I, I like house systems and I like pride in, in, in being in a house system. And I'm not, you know, the, the, the reward at the end of the term is different, right? Because if I divide everyone and I say you get a reward and you don't, that's a completely different thing to it's the last day of term. The points that you've got don't equal the amount of celebration we have. It's just we're all celebrating because we've had a good term and you've done great work. I think that's, that, that's much more within the ethos of what I'm talking about. I like team. I don't like dividing children and pitting them against each other. I like the idea of a class team. So class recognition is all about that, that group. The house team is the same kind of team. Um, and I think, I think it's very positive to receive... I mean, it's not really a reward, is it? You're just receiving something for the house. You're just, it's going through you and into the big total of tallies for the whole house. So I think, and, and the last thing I say on that is, you know, I, I have to come and talk about big issues and make a decision where I stand on them. But if you're sitting there today thinking, it's brilliant in our school, the kids love it, the staff love it, we've got real consistency, but we've done it a slightly different way, why would you ever... Why, why would you change if you didn't have an issue that were needed solving? It would be madness. I don't want to change stuff that's going well. I want to try and help people when they've got an issue to work it out and, and push it forward. But you sound like 
you've already worked that out yourself. Like, you know, as David says, that the, there's more knowledge in front of me for sure, yeah, many, many more times. So there are people here who have done that journey that I've done. They've succeeded in a slightly different way. They've got the same outcomes I've got. Perfect. Brilliant. Wouldn't change it. And one of the other lovely things I think we need to recognise, and it's the conversation we were having earlier in the day, one of the things that really worries me is we've got this emphasis on social mobility and closing the gap. And if you're in communities like yours, then the danger is that when we get social mobility, they move out the area. And what we get is we get communities left poorer because what we've done is we've got kids to go from deprived and difficult areas and just move somewhere where there's better potential and all of that. And so what you're doing simultaneously is trying to enhance the capacity of the individual in the best way that you can, but to give them that sense of belonging to someone somewhere. And, and that whole idea of how do we build that sense of community, the example I was given in the workshop earlier of my colleague Hal Roberts using Kestrel for a Nave mm. to celebrate the community that the children were from and using To Kill a Mockingbird to challenge some of the values that were there. And we're trying to juggle that balance all the time to give children a sense of being part of something which deserves respect and value, but also giving them that challenge to think about how we recreate that in a way that's better. And, and that's where I think the collectivism becomes particularly valuable. Time for a last question. Yes. Um, In August, we started with your um, vision and move forward and things, but we've got some children who are really high tariff and we used the scripts and it wasn't working. I don't know if you've got any suggestions for where we could go. Is it good to adapt the script for some children? We had a... No, that kind of thing. Yeah, and again, I give you a generic, right? And I talk about how we build it together. That, that script you wouldn't use for early years. You'd use something much different. I'm not going to use it for Robert because it's, it's too long and he's off before I've opened my mouth. So, okay. There isn't a behaviour system that solves everything. It doesn't exist. There will always be a small percentage of children in your classroom for whom the, the issues going on with them, their additional needs, their life outside, cannot be solved by behaviour management, right? Those kids, as you well know, they need much more than that. They need ed psych support, they need you know, medical intervention, they need help with housing, they, you know, and all the other issues. So giving just, uh, you know, we do, we do uh, a lot of work with very high tariff behaviours that that's not that's not necessarily in the book and it's not in our standard training session. So we do do that, right? And we work with specialist teams with very complicated issues, but they're very nuanced, as you know, and, and they're very complex and they normally require not people from the outside, but for a mentor that's just relentlessly not giving up, right? And it, and it, and it you know, it's, you'd love to turn Robert around in, in six weeks with a cheesy technique, but in reality, it's going to take six months and a year and you're going to put that starfish back in the sea every morning and think that you're not doing any good, but of course you are. So the example I give is about a head teacher in Wales who said, I've got 5% of my children. I say, I love your program, but you won't touch the 5%. Um, and we, he, he completely pivotalized his school, did the three rules, did all the rest of it. And we went back, and I said to him six months later, I said, okay, has anything changed? Because I'm interested in that 5%. And he said, Paul, the difference is that when you, before, 
if you'd visited, you would have been able to pick those kids out. Now, they've still got the same issues, but you won't be able to see them because they're now living in a, within an environment that's more predictable, more safe. They've got better connections with people and mentors. I, I have to be honest about it. I don't have cheesy instant solution for kids who are traumatised, kids who are struggling with... You know, and everyone in this room knows it's, it's that relentless grind, right? Um, and people write to me all the time and say, I've got this kid and it's not working for him and all the rest of it. And I say, I, at that point, I can't just give you a load of... I haven't seen the child and I don't know. One of the things that, that's become very apparent to me, however, um, and one of the things I do say to people is, if you've got children who are, despite everything that's happening and despite putting all the stuff in and, and it's all going well for 98% of the kids and you've still got some kids struggling... I just say it might be worth being a sensory detective and just working out whether there's something in the transitions, in the lighting, in the amount of display, in the where they sit and how many times the uh, classroom is disturbed, etc., etc. You know, working with one class and they had a phone in the class and it just rang. It would ring all the time. They said, we can't afford a, a, can't, can't afford a reception staff, so we put a phone in the classroom. And some of the kids were just losing their mind because the tension of that coming, and it was, it was sensory issues. And we, they tried everything else. So I just, that's what I suggest to people. You know, work out if this is a sensory thing that's going off, whether the child's actually in control of it. But you're bound to say to me, um, it might be, but it also might be something that, that they need to be assessed for, that we're waiting for someone to come and talk to them about it. The best we can do is have a kind, calm, consistent environment. And I think it's good honesty to say behaviour management is not, it doesn't solve the world. It just creates the culture and climate to allow everyone to feel safe. You're still going to have issues with, with 2% of kids. And it's not about trying to get to a perfect situation where you've... I've solved all the children. You know, it just then never happens, right? It's just not real. What we have found is that the other children have fallen into that way and it's less of a oh my goodness look at this kind of thing like mm. you said it's smaller yeah so you're now not dealing with bigger incidents so you're succeeding right yeah but and, and okay so the last thing is for your staff and for you as well um towards the end of a term like now now is the time where you think nothing's changed it's all going wrong again because the kids as they get towards the transitions between holidays and spending more time at home yeah. right <laughs> they start getting anxious the staff are tired um, what you need to do at the beginning of the term is say, by the end of this term with those children, we want to be here, so that when you get to the end of the term and everyone's exhausted and the children are playing up, you still know that you've come a distance. Otherwise, it feels like nothing's changing, and then staff get, get disillusioned. But actually, it's not. It's just it's, it's late in the term. The kids are struggling with the transition. You know, you have actually come a long way, but, but it, it, it's, it's always a step forward, one back, two steps forward, half... You know, it, it's always that with those kids, right? And, and they're understanding of life is very often um, adults are not to be trusted you know it takes you know once that's happened there's a huge journey for them to take to be able to trust people again and and very quickly and I think and just to finish off I mean one of my serious concerns around this is that we we regularly betray inclusion because what we do is we have children included until they're big enough to be a real physical threat And the pattern that we'll consistently see is inclusion breaking down when children are 14, 15 and 16 years old. And the price that we pay for that 
is huge in a number of ways. But one of the price we pay is the failure to make the therapeutic intervention at an early enough stage where it would make a difference. And what we're doing, literally, is we are spending thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds to house children. I, mean, I was doing in-service in Sheffield, and I, I told the kibble story that I told in my workshop. And one of the head teachers went, yeah, we've got a kid there. God only knows what it costs to get a kid from Sheffield housed in kibble. Mm -hmm. But I'm damn sure it would have cost a lot less to have the kind of therapeutic intervention that might have made a difference when that child was five, six or seven. And one of the, sorry, very quickly, one of the things I used to do as director was I used to make the leadership team, that's really good liberal speak, I used to make the leadership team <laughs> review children's cases in history and ask them to tell me when they last thought we could have made a meaningful intervention with that child which would have changed the outcomes for that child. And what came out of that discussion consistently was that the time for intervention was primary age, often younger primary age, sometimes earlier than that, and it had to be something which brought skill, expertise and understanding. And my, my last point, just to try and emphasise that, is one of the things I've been, I've been using to finish off sessions with people is a play Tim Harton track. That's two people in the audience, old enough to remember it. Excellent. And the Tim Harden track is Reason to Believe. And I say to people that that's what you're about. That's what you do. You give children, you give families, you give communities reason to believe. You are often the people that set a level of ambition which has been previously unknown to these children and their families. You do that thing that I spoke about earlier about holding up the mirror and showing that child a better reflection of themselves than they see when they look in their own. You do that stuff, you give that reason to believe and you make differences. But the real triumph and the real triumph around these Saturday things is not that, it's the fact that sometimes you don't. But you persist. And that's the big thing. It's, it's not the success because some children are so damaged and their circumstances are so complex that it will take far more than we have to offer mm -hmm. to close that gap. It'll take more than all our kindness, more than all our concern. But it's the fact that we persist and we look for the solution and hopefully that gives us the moral purchase to demand more to answer the needs of that child. And what I loved about your question was that you went through that whole thing, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this, and we still need more. And that's where we need to be. You know, it, it's, it's classic. There's only three questions you need to ask in schools. What is it we're doing? You know, whether it's in behaviour, whether it's in curriculum, whatever else, what is it that we're doing? Why do we do it? What's our rationale for it? What are our values? What do we believe in? And the final question, why do we keep doing it? And if we can't answer the why do we keep doing it, that's when we get into the conversation about change. But by asking why we keep doing it, we unearth the practice. And as I said to John Swinney this morning, government needs to be clearer about whether we are actually endorsing and building on good practice or whether we're challenging schools with the prospect of change. And my view is that what we need to do is to recognise and build on the excellent and outstanding practice and the persistence that we need to build on that. If you want to make successful change, as I keep saying, we need traction and we need momentum. You don't get traction from weakness, you get it from strength.
So the questions we need to keep asking is, what is it we're doing right and how do we build on that? And we also need to recognise that progress, and the brilliant question from you, so are you making progress? That's all we can ask of ourselves. Otherwise, what we do is we make accountability a cross in which we then proceed to crucify ourselves. And it's that thing is, why do we keep doing it? Because what that allows you to do is to identify where you're doing your best, and we can't ask any more than that. And that, I think, is a sound note to finish off on. We've got the AGM from STEP coming up. We would love it if people would stay on and support that. We would love it if people continued to support STEP as an organisation and to allow them to do more of this type of work. I mean, this is fantastic. This has been, for me, this has been a phenomenal day. People have engaged. You've been alive. The laughter in the room, it's been brilliant. Your responses to Paul's session, your responses in the workshop, the range of things that Step have put in front of you today. Well, notable exceptions, like. But I think it's been superb. (laughs) And I think it's been challenging. And I think it's been reassuring. And hopefully what you'll do is you'll simply go away asking that question. What is it we do? Why do we do it? And why do we keep doing it? And I think if we ask for that, we get into researching rather than research. And thank you so much for your attendance. Thank you, thank you very much as well. And can we do the evaluation? Yeah. And, and could you do, uh, yeah. could you do the evaluations and hand them in? If you need any help with them, just give me a shout and I'll write them for you, okay? Thank you. <laughs>